explain to us why we should speak the name of Jesus over our family, over our church, over the minds and hearts of people, just like the song we just sang, spoke of. This is what it says, Philippians 2, verse number 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. If you believe it, say amen. See, what the Bible is saying there is that Jesus has complete authority, not just over some things or most things, but all things, all principalities, all powers, all demonic entities, all the works of Satan, all the forces of darkness. Jesus has complete and total authority over all that. He is the name above every name. And God the Father hath highly exalted God the Son and sat him at his right hand, the Bible teaches. And so this morning, how do you know we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? This morning, how do you know we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords seated at the right hand of God the Father? He has been highly exalted. His name is above all names. And so when you speak the name of Jesus, there's power in it. When you pray in the name of Jesus, there's power in it. When you ask Jesus for help, he hears you. And by his power, he's able to answer your, your prayer. Why? Because he has authority first and foremost, but he also has power to do what's necessary. And so, folks, we need to understand this morning, it's important that we recognize and realize at the name of Jesus, all tongues will confess. Every knee will bow. Listen, you can bow now, and I hope and pray that you do, but if you don't bow now, you'll bow later. Every knee will bow to King Jesus. That's what the Bible is saying. So we speak his name. And things just get too hard for us to handle when problems get too big for us to fix. We just speak the name of Jesus. Lord, I need you in this area. I need you in that area. God, if you don't fix the problem, the problem won't get fixed. If you don't touch people's hearts, then they won't be touched. Lord, if you don't save someone's soul, then it's not going to be saved. Lord, we need you, King Jesus, to do your work. We speak his name because there's power in it. There's authority in it. Love that song. Let's go to the next verse. Verse number 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is still on the throne this morning. Regardless of what problem you face, regardless of what trial you're going through, regardless of where you are, what's going on in your life, Jesus is still on the throne. And I'm thankful that we can speak his name. Let me ask you a question today. Do you believe Jesus is real. Good. I'm in good company. I too believe Jesus is real. And this question that I'm asking you, or I just ask you, I can't answer that for you, and you can't answer that for me. We all have to come to the place individually in our lives where we recognize or reject the Lordship of Jesus. Amen? We all have to come to our own conclusion as to whether or not we believe Jesus is real. 
I can't make that decision for you. I can't come to that conclusion for you. I can only do that for myself. And you can't do it for me. Um, or, or, and vice versa. We, we, we have to individually on our own come to that conclusion and make that declaration of faith that Jesus is real and Jesus is Savior. Only we can do that individually. But let me tell you why this morning, I just want to make two statements to you as to why I believe Jesus is real. First and foremost, I believe Jesus is real because I've experienced His life-changing, life-giving power in my life. <laughs> I know what He's done for me. Folks, listen to me. I sought the Lord and He answered I asked God for help and He gave it. I trusted in Him and He changed me from what I used to be. Man, I'm telling you, just last night, I've, and I've been thinking about this all night, you know, just certain moments that happens in your life where God just does something that, um, that, that only He can do and brings things to your mind and remembrances to your mind of what it used to be. And, and, and just last night, we was, me and some brothers and sisters in Christ was talking about the jail of all things. And, and, and they asked, have you seen the inside of the jail? And, and if not, we've got pictures. And, and folks, I do not say this to bring honor and glory at all to my old lifestyle. I am not at all trying to be prideful in what I'm about to tell you. It, it's shameful to me where I used to be. But, but I do want to give glory to the Lord this morning because I told those, those folks, I said, look, sadly, I don't have to see a picture. I know what it looks like from experience. That's where I used to be. That's the life I used to live. But God, who is rich in mercy, with this great love wherewith He has loved us, has quickened me. He has made me alive to the things of God. And let me tell you what He did. He gave me a divine nature. And with that divine nature, He gave me the desire to please Him. Listen, and now He's completely and totally changed my direction. Folks, I can testify to you this morning. There was a time in my life when I wouldn't brother Israel. There was a time in my life when, folks, I would have never dreamed that I would have been the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church or the pastor of any church. None of them would have wanted me or needed me to be a pastor of anything. But I praise God this morning for His supernatural work that He has done something in my life that only He can do. Listen, He has changed me from what I used to be. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm not where I need to be yet. But I'm thankful I'm not where I was. Amen? I'm not where I'm going to be yet. But I'm thankful I'm not where I was. And this has, has been a growing process and continues to be a growing process for me where God is working on me to make me what He saved me to be. I know He's real because of, I've experienced His life-changing, life-giving work. He's made a difference. 
I'm thankful for it. There's an old hymn song that we used to sing. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me. Along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. He walks with me. He truly does. There, there are moments in my life in good times and in bad. In all places in between. Where I sense the presence of God in that situation. Yesterday at the ball game was one of those times where I, I was able to talk to a gentleman there and I just sensed the presence of God working in my heart and working in his heart as well. I could see God was doing something. He walks with me. He's with me each and every day. He's, he's, it's true. He never leaves nor forsakes me. I've experienced that. But he also talks with me. How many of you know this morning? Listen to me, folks. God is ready to speak to you when you get ready to listen. The problem is, many times, God has to get you to a place where you're ready to listen. Where I'm ready to listen. And sometimes that happens through trials and tribulations and, and, and listen, problems that you can't fix. Valleys. In your life that you've got to walk through storms that you face. God uses all of that sometimes just to, because he wants to shout at you and say, listen up. i got something to say and God does it for me all the time. Not just does he speak to me in that way, but he certainly sometimes does speak to me in that way. But he does walk with me and he does talk with me. Just about uh, two weeks ago now, my daughter called me up and she was going through some stuff. How I many know we all got some stuff we go through? All of us do. And she was going through some stuff. It was really bothering her. And uh, she's really struggling with it. And, and, and I talked to her the best I knew to talk to her and gave her the advice I knew to give her. And, and we prayed about it. And we read scripture about it. And we done everything I knew to do about it. And she said this to me. I'll, I'll never forget what she said. She said, Dad, it just feels like. I'm praying and God ain't hearing what I'm saying. And I don't know what else to do. I've prayed about everything I know to pray about. Have you ever felt that way? Because I have. I've felt that way too sometimes. And I encouraged her and I want to encourage you this morning. I said, baby, listen. Sometimes you're not going to feel like God hears you. But we don't trust our feelings. We trust in the fact. And the fact is the truth of the word of God claims that if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. So keep praying. Keep trusting. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray right now that God reveals himself to you in such a way. And he speaks to you in such a way that you can't question. That was on a Wednesday, Thursday morning. She called me at 930. I was at work. And when I picked up the phone, she was crying her eyes out. I couldn't hardly understand what she was saying. I thought, oh God, what's happened? What's going on? And I said, are you sick? She said, no, Dad, I'm not sick. I said, are you hurt? She said, no, I'm okay. I'm not hurt. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. She said, God heard me. And he, said, he spoke to me this morning in a way that I couldn't question. And he answered my prayer. And I said, thank you, Jesus. You truly do walk with us. And you truly do talk with us and you do things in our life that only you can do. Praise the Lord. He's real to me. But that's not the only reason. I believe He's real. Amen.
not. I believe he's real because the mountains of evidence we have that point to his existence. These are mountains. And I am sick and tired of the world coming against the truth of the word of God and trying to cause people to doubt who God is and what he does. So this morning, I only give you some evidences of just how real God is. And let me say something to you. I can't prove to you Jesus is real. But you also need to understand those on the other side of the argument, the atheist or the agnostic, cannot prove to me that God is not real. When you talk about proving the existence of God, that's not possible. Let me tell you why. I've told you before. Because what we have are finite minds trying to explain, understand, and prove that which is infinite. That's never going to take place. You can't definitively prove it or disprove the existence of God. But what you can do is what Dr. Stephen Meyer always says. He always says you give inference to the best possible explanation according to the evidence you have. I love that. Dr. Stephen Meyer is one of the most uh, knowledgeable men on the face of the earth. I love that brother, what a ministry he has. He is the mo one of the most knowledgeable men that I've ever listened to or, or read um, the, the books that he's written. It's just amazing how the Lord uses him. But he's got something more than just knowledge because how do you know knowledge is not enough? He actually holds a professorship at Oxford University. This brother right here, um, a lot of times when I read the books he writes, I've got to write, read them three or four times just to make sure I'm understanding what he says because uh, he, he is uh, so far above my intellect and my knowledge. No, no doubt about that. But he's got something more than knowledge. He's also got godly wisdom. And listen to me, folks. There's a lot of people in our world today who have a whole lot of worldly knowledge but lack godly wisdom. And truly what happens when you've got a lot of knowledge but no wisdom, you become a fool. An educated fool, but still a fool. And there are a lot of educated fools going around saying there is no God. Psalm 14.1 says the fool hath said in his heart that there is no God. And really what that scripture is talking about, if you look around in the world at the evidence we have to go by and you cannot see that there is a logical explanation that God created this thing, that there is a plan that, 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 that goes with this thing because there's a planner, it looks created because there is a creator. If you can't look out and see that, then folks, you're a fool. That's just foolish. Amen. So let me give you some evidences of the existence of God. And I want you to make your own declaration as to who God is. His existence and what he can do in your life. Amen. I'll give you as many as I can give you this morning. I've got seven or eight of them. But we'll go as far as we can. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. Wake up. Wake up. Listen to me. Now listen. Number one, I want you to get a hold of this. You need to understand 
I believe God is real, and I believe you ought to think God is real, believe God is real, simply because the universe that we currently live in, and that's all we can go by. Can you see him into that? I know there are a lot of people that want to give, talk about the existence of other universes, and they want to talk about the existence of, uh, of different um, realities and all this kind of stuff, but we don't have really any uh, evidence of any of that. What we've got to go by is where we are, where we live. So let's look at where we live. And where we live is in this universe that I believe God has created. Let me tell you why I believe God has created it. Because it's fine-tuned for our existence. It's not just thrown together. There is a plan that produces an outcome. Let, let, let me see if I can explain it to you like this. I, has any of you ever been to Mount Rushmore? I've been to Mount Rushmore years ago and it was absolutely amazing when I got there and seen what actually took place. Now, if me and you were standing at the base of Mount Rushmore and we looked up and I said to you, ain't it amazing how that water over time, the, the drops of water coming down from the sky and running over this mountain has created the faces of George Washington and, and, and uh, Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt, ain't it amazing how that, that, that this water over time has created all that? What would you say to me? Do you think that's what created Mount Rushmore? That just over millions of years, maybe water falling from the heavens and running over the mountain created all those faces that you see there? Do you think that's possible? Does that sound logical to you? Well, of course not. You'd probably say, brother, you crazy. That ain't the result of water running over the mountain. There were some guys up there who knew how to sculpt. They were sculptors. And they get up there and chiseled out. And don't that make more sense? There was something going on there. There was a plan that was being fulfilled because there was someone who was a planner who decided to go up there and carve out those faces. And that's just, and that's just a small, listen to me now, elementary example of the vastness and the complexity of the universe that we live in. Uh, cosmologists and scientists tell us that there are about 36 or 37 different truths, different processes that have to be just right for us to have the universe that we have and life to exist on planet Earth. 36 or 37 different things that have to be exactly right. Dr. Ben Stein, when he um, made his documentary on the very thing that I'm talking about. He brought that up. He said, let's just imagine that we had a universe-making machine. He said, if you wanted to create the universe that we have, you'd have to have 37 different dials put to the exact right number so that we could have what we have. And the point he's making, and the point I'm trying to make, is that the universe is fine-tuned for our existence because we have a tuner. It looks planned, because it is planned. It looks created because it is created. And if anybody looks logically at the evidence we have, I don't see how you could come up with any other explanation. The fine-tuning of the universe is number one. Number two is that the universe I'm speaking of has a beginning. Amen? And this is a big one. Let me tell you why it's big. Because for years... Throughout the mid to late 18th century and into the 19th century, we thought that the universe was somehow eternal, that it's always been here. And a lot of, what a lot of people said is that the universe itself created the life that we have because of random chance in millions of years is really the argument they used. 
But then through science, we figured out, and how many of you know, I believe, I'm not against science, and you shouldn't be either. What I believe is, is what Dr. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton, what, Sir Isaac Newton, what he believed. He believed that science was the vehicle we used to better understand the God we serve. And that's what I believe. But for a long time, listen, we believed, or at least the scientific community believed, that um, the universe was eternal. But then in, in about the late 1920s, early 1930s, we found out through the science of astronomy and astrology that the universe is not eternal, but the universe had a beginning. Can you say amen? amen. Now, why does that matter to us about the discussion we're having today? Well, the universe itself is made up of matter, space, and time. And we know matter, space, and time cannot, will not create itself. It had a beginning. So there must have been something or someone outside of matter, space, and time that created the universe that we live in this morning. If you believe it, say amen. Now listen to me. I believe it's someone and not something. You hear me? And let me tell you why I believe it's someone and not something. <coughs> because of some of those different factors that I already spoke about. Let me just give you just one of them. Probably my favorite one. I don't have time to go really in depth with this, but if you want to go more in depth, we'll do so at a later date. You just holler at me and we'll talk about it. But um, the, the scientists figure out, figured out that there's something called the cosmological constant. And really what that's talking about is the expansion rate of the universe. Do you know right now our universe is still expanding? And it's expanding at just the right rate for new stars, solar systems, and galaxies to be formed. And we know that because we've sent these telescopes out into, out into space for the last, what, 30, 40 years. And they tell us the farther they get that, that, that it just keeps going and going and going because it's still being created. How is it still being created? Because the expansion rate is just right for further creation. If it was expanding any faster than it is, there wouldn't be time for new stars and planets and solar systems to form. If it was expanding any slower than it is, the gravitational pull that's within the universe itself would cause it to collapse upon itself. Do you think that just happened? Logically, does that just... Can you reason out how that could just happen by coincidence? No, I think there was a plan. We could talk about the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force. We could talk about a whole lot of different things, like 36, 37 other things that have to be just right for that to take place. That's why I say it's not a something that created the universe, but it has to be a someone with an intelligent mind, which brings me to point number three. Listen to me now. Complexity that produces a function speaks of intelligence. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you've got something that's been put together and then provides a function, a desired outcome, that always speaks of intelligence. And that's what we see over and over and over and over again all throughout creation. 
time upon time upon time. Let me read something to you here that I absolutely love. Um, if I can find my notes. I haven't even got to my notes yet this morning. But I just want you to know that when you have that continually, over and over again, happening throughout creation, then it has to speak of that which is intelligent. And we know the someone who created the heavens and earth, according to our belief system, is none other than God the Father. Why is that true? We've got a book that tells us that. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe it, say amen this morning. You say, oh, well, brothers, you just want them Bible thumpers just wants to look back at Scripture all the time. Well, yeah, that is true, but I want to tell you something. What if science over and over and over and over again comes back and proves exactly what the Bible says? Now, if we look out into the solar and the cosmos, if we look out into our universe and we see that it has a plan, we see that it has complexity that, that, that listen to me now, brings about a function that is desired, that that speaks of intelligence, then wouldn't it make sense that there is someone bigger than ourselves outside of matter, space, and time who finally won at one moment in the past, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth? Ain't that what the Bible says? Genesis 1 In the beginning, God created. The planner had a plan and carried it out. The creator, by his power, spoke creation into existence. Point number three. Excuse me, point number four. I've already given you three. Point number four the anthropic principle. When we're talking about the word anthro, we're meaning man. And what the anthropic principle is all about is how is it possible that man is able to live on planet Earth? If any of you have listened to Elon Musk in the last year or two, he's done everything he can possibly do to study Mars because he wants to move the human civilization or part of it to Mars and, and, and start a new colony. Have you heard any of that? The only problem is Mars can't, can't sustain human life, human existence. Don't have the quality of air that we have. It don't have the water that we need. It don't have a whole lot of things. We live on planet Earth and many people have called it the Goldilocks planet. Now, why do they call it that? Well, you remember the story of Goldilocks, don't you? Where she wanted everything just right. And that's really what we have on planet Earth. We have everything just right. Do you know if we were any further from the sun, we would freeze to death? And if we were even a fraction closer to the sun, we'd burn up? Do you know that the degree of the tilt on the Earth's axis has to be perfect so that everybody throughout the world gets the desired sunlight needed to live? Do you think that just happened? Everything is put the. I mean, if we're logically reasoning out and looking at the evidence that we have before us, don't it just make sense that there is a God who loves us and has a plan and purpose for us right here upon this planet? Genesis, the whole chapter, chapter 1, 
speaks of the plan God had and how that, listen, creation had an order as such that it would allow us to have what we have now. You can go through it and look for, it, look for yourself. I'm not going to read it to you this morning. Point number five. Why I believe God exists. Irreducible complexity. This is a term that has been coined by Dr. Behe from Lehigh Institute. If you've never read anything from Michael Behe or Stephen Meyer, I would encourage you to do so. If you don't know them, get to know them. These brothers right here have helped me as much as anything else with a lot of the hard questions that I have asked over the years. Dr. Behe says that irreducible complexity completely and to totally blows away the theory of evolution. Let me tell you why I say that. Let me tell you, first of all, what irreducible complexity is. It's just a big word, but um, when you actually get a hold of it, you'll see what I'm saying. Let's just pretend this morning that we've got a mouse trap up here. Now, what does it take for a mouse trap to actually work? You've got a slab of wood, you've got a spring, and you've got a hammer. Now, let me ask you something. If you've got a slab of wood, do you have a mouse trap? Let me ask you this. If you've got a hammer and a slab of wood, do you have a mouse trap? What do you need to have a mouse trap? You've got to have a slab of wood, you've got to have a hammer, and you've got to have a spring. And all three of these things have to be working in concert with one another so that the function it was desired to do, that it was created to do, which is to kill a mouse, is going to work. Does that make sense to you? You leave any part out. You leave any part out. And you don't have a mouse trap. Now, what am I trying to say to you? The human body is, listen, you talk about irreducibly complex. The human body is amazing in all the things that, let's just take one part. The human eye is irreducibly complex. If you go and read this evening just what it takes for the eye to see, how all parts have to be working together perfectly so that you have sight like you need to have and like you want to have. It's irreducibly complex. And if you take anything out of that equation, it don't work. Now, let me ask you something. With the logical mind working, if there are all these parts working together that creates a function, that produces a function, does that not speak of intelligence? You are irreducibly complex. You can have all parts working together like it's supposed to be to have what we have in our human bodies. If you believe it, say amen. Think about this. You can, you should trust in the Lord. And you don't have to apologize to do so. And you don't have to put your mind in a drawer to do so either. But you do got to think. Point number six of why I believe Jesus is real. And when I say Jesus, you say, brother, don't you mean God? Well, if you say Jesus, you mean God. 
See, the Bible teaches that we have a God who reveals himself in three distinct personalities. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus, while he was upon this earth, said, me and my Father are what? One. If I say Jesus, I'm saying God. If I say God the Father, listen, all of it is God. One God reveals himself in three distinct personalities. If I say I believe in the existence of God the Holy Spirit. That means I believe in the existence of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you got me, go say I got. All right, I got you. Number six, moral absolutes. Everybody in here this morning would probably agree. My son right now is is in a play over in Winfield, going to be performing in a few weeks. The Diary of Anne Frank, and the Diary of Anne Frank is about the Holocaust that happened in World War II. When 13 million Jews were killed by evil people. Let me ask you, is there anybody in this place this morning who believes the Holocaust was right and justified? I didn't think so. Anybody believe that the torture of little babies is justified and right? Everybody think that's wrong? Now, why do you think that's wrong? If all we are are just a bunch of meat machines that came to be because of random chance in millions of years, if that's all we are, then why is there a law written on the heart of every human being as to what is morally right and morally wrong? C.S. Lewis made this clear to me in his book, Mere Christianity. If you've never read that, I encourage you to do so. But he says something in Mere Christianity that I love. He said, we all inherently know that stealing is wrong. That being disrespectful is wrong. We all know that. He said, and if you don't believe me, it may, you may not think it's wrong when you're doing it to other people, but let somebody do it to you. You may not think it's wrong, wrong if you're stealing what you want, but let somebody steal your stuff. Amen? And you know it's wrong, and we all do. Why? Because there are moral absolutes, listen to me now, that God ingrained within every man, woman, boy, and girl. You say, well, brother, what about the psychopath? What about the serial killer that says that he feels no remorse for what he's done wrong? Well, if he don't know it's wrong, then why does he hide the bodies? Are you understand what I'm saying? Deep down on the inside, we all know right and wrong because there are moral absolutes. Let me give you the seventh reason for why I believe that God is real. Listen to me. Because of love itself. If we're all just meat machines, why do we love? Why do we uh, feel the need to take care of our family and take care of our friends and help people when they need help? Why do we love? Why is that there? Could it be when the Bible says in, first, in the book of 1 John that God is love, that this God who is love created mankind for a purpose and that purpose was to be His imagers and because we are creating the image of God, we too have the emotion of love within us from the time of birth? Logically, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Folks, listen to me. 
I believe God exists. There's more reason than this. That's all I'm going to give you this morning. Like I said, if you want to go deeper into this, you holler at me, we'll go deeper. I want to tell you, I believe God exists. Not just because I've experienced His life-changing, life-giving power. Not just because I see His life-changing, life-giving power in the lives of others. I believe God exists because of the mountains of evidence that point to His existence. And if anybody would just open their eyes, they could see too. If you believe what God's Word teaches, say amen. Give me first Colossians chapter 1. Verses 16, 17, and 18, and we're done. Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. Let's back up to verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood. Who do you think He's talking about there? Who redeemed us because of His shed blood? Jesus. Even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. Let's go to verse 16. For by Him. By who? Were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. See it? Look at the next one. Watch this. And He is before all things. So in the beginning, who was there? Amen. He is before all things. And by Him, all things consist. Look at the next verse. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, watch this now, He might have what? Or the chief place. Folks, listen to me. God's Word says, Jesus is real. And there are mountains of evidence that back it up. Trust Him. Stand together this morning. I'm going to pray for you for this time of invitation, and I'm just asking that you would allow God the Holy Spirit. To lead God and direct you. And you be submissive to His will. This morning there may be someone here that needs to be saved. And if you do. This God who created the heavens and the earth. The universe itself. The one who stands outside of matter, space and time. Has done everything necessary. Through the person of His Son. For you to truly know Him. That's what blesses my soul above everything else. I get to know the God of all creation. The one who spoke the stars into the heavens and told the oceans they could come so far. I know 
can too. You can experience His life-changing power. Today's the day. Trust Him. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, there's just some things you need to talk over with the Lord. These altars are always open. You do what God would have you do. I'm always here to pray for you and pray with you. It's my privilege to do so. Let's bow our heads together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. You're great because you created. But you are good because you're a father. A father who loves these people. Lord, you want them to be your people. And if there's one here this morning who's not one of your people, one of your children, we're asking that you can fix that heart and bring them unto yourself. And I'm praying for those who are your people, are your children, that you would help us by your power to be what you've called us to be.